Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Natter the Zillennial Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Parent, and in this episode, we will be continuing part two of my interview with Julia Sorensen, talking about poetry, art, and writing, all that fun stuff. So I hope you enjoy. When it comes to publishing and stuff, did you ever or do you ever point your students to um, things like when I was a kid, well, when we were kids, like (laughs) two years ago, um, in high school anyway, we were pointed towards this magazine called Windscript Magazine, which was just for high schoolers. And there was also Polar Expressions Publishing. So I did some of those things. Have you had experience with those as well? Um, Yeah, I think those are pretty locationally specific. yeah, like I said, there's some, um, there's some, there's usually like local things that are willing to um, print and publish youth art. I know that some of my students are submitting poems to the yearbook for this year and they're, they're awesome. going to be on our yearbook page. They're obviously not getting remunerated for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's nice. Official publishers are nice because they pay you a little bit. um I also think there's when it comes to being a youth and and starting to get published um there's a couple like dangers with Mm -hmm. that because sometimes there are organizations that um masquerade as legitimate but are really just out to get your money um and Uh. you so they'll publish your work, but you'll have to pay for them to publish your work, which is not how it should work. Um, right. And I, when I was younger, I actually had had one of these organizations, like a contest of theirs emailed to me by a librarian who was like, you should submit to this, which I did. And the winner gets their stuff published for free. Mm-hmm. But the rest of you can also get published, but you just have to pay 40 bucks. Um in this specific instance. And so I would recommend, highly recommend if you are looking to get published, you're not familiar with the organization, highly recommend Googling it or looking it up on um, websites that list reputable publisher organization. Yeah. Because this isn't just a problem in academia. It's a problem, problem everywhere. Like, and things can sound really legit and then they're not. Um, yeah. So super recommend that. Um, yeah. But sometimes you get published and it's great, and sometimes you make some mistakes. And that's just part of the learning process. <laughs> Julia handing out the pro tips to not be ripped off. Google it. <laughs> Important shit. Okay. Oh, darn. That's my first swear. I've been trying so in the hard jar. to swear. I was like, you can. It's totally fine. <laughs> you just did. And I was like, I could have sworn this whole time. I've been masquerading as, as an eloquent, like, well-spoken <laughs> human being and I could have just been dropping f-bombs all the time Ugh. well the thing is I struggle with that too because I'm also like I am a language person and yeah. all this stuff it's also like I'm also 22 and this podcast is also geared towards other 22 year olds so like if it happens it happens oh, yeah, whatever I'm really upset about people swearing and saying it's not eloquent and things like that like expletives as from a linguistic framework 
standpoint. Mm -hmm. Expletives exist for a reason and they're very useful. And there's like really nothing you can replace them with. Like there's, I think expletives are super important words and they sometimes communicate things extremely well and extremely Mm -hmm. um, concisely. And if this isn't what we're searching for when we write and when we, and when we speak concision, if it's not what we're searching, what are we doing? You know, (laughs) it's important. And if you can just like swear and concisely get your point across, go for it. I mean, you said that with such authority. I love it. You know, I am the authority on everything. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course, of course you always want, like if you're, if you're letting them get way too ahead, like expletives, if you're letting them go way too ahead of you and you just like don't make sense anymore and you just sound angry then that's probably an issue. But like, you know, express yourself. (laughs) Exactly. They're just another form of expression. I was actually blown away when in university I took a middle English class and so many swears and like the word fart, Mm -hmm. they're all the same. Like back from the 1300s, we were still speaking the exact same way. Like obviously not, but the swears were the same. So whatever. Yeah. It's history, man. (laughs) That was good. I don't know. I don't have beef with it. I think it's good. (laughs) That's good to hear. Do you have any advice for people who want to start writing? But of course, like it takes a lot of courage to do that. What would you say to them? Um, it's funny. I uh, like I of course have worked with lots of people who are starting out writing. Mm-hmm. Um, most often, that happens in my poetry club. So it's usually like high school students who are just kind of discovering their voice. But I also have talked to a number of um, like people I have relationships with, um, because of, I don't know, familial connections or whatever. Um, most notably one of my dad's friends and also one of my friend's dads, guys, the same person, Mm -hmm. um, reached out to me a little while ago and was like, so if I wanted to start writing poetry, like how would I start? And I was like, this is so cool. (laughs) You're like 50 something and you're talking to a 20 something year old treating me like I have authority (laughs) Um, but also yeah the the advice that I hope that I gave to him I don't remember but the advice that I gave to him was like explore a little bit at least a little bit Um, just try to explore and figure out what you want to say and how you want to say it and while you're in that process, be kind to yourself. Like, be mm-hmm. extremely kind to yourself and your failures as well. Because you're gonna suck first. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't get good first. You suck first. And you're gonna write, like, notebooks of stuff. And probably one or two of those things is gonna be good. Mm-hmm. Um and then probably like another 15 will be salvageable at some point. Like you can probably rewrite or edit or something. But like, yeah, just go for it. If you are at all feeling like you want to do something, just go for it. And be kind to yourself if you do not feel like you're successful. Because everybody sucks at the beginning. Everybody sucks. Um, and if you write like a hundred things you want nobody to read, it's fine. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's the process. So that's, that's the advice I would give is, um, radical self-kindness. Be nice to yourself, you guys. 
But what about form? Because I know in school, I always loved writing. But whenever they're like, you have to use the specific format, like, it's like, how do you navigate that when you're writing? Are there ever times it's needed? Or you're like, hell no, we're doing Mm -hmm. this free form. So it's funny, I find that when people start out writing poetry, and this might just be because it's their perception of what poetry is, but you start with strict form. Mm-hmm. And you start with rhyme schemes and making everything end rhyme. So like when you have a rhyme at the end of a line yeah, um, and stuff like that. And personally, um, I think it's much more difficult to write a poem like that and have it be successful. Because often I think what happens when you write rhyme is you get overly concerned with making the line, the line rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're no longer saying what you want to, and you're just trying to fill in the format. Like, and you could be more, more concise and eloquent and perhaps even more poetic without making it rhyme. And so I would recommend for anyone who wants to start writing poetry to kind of shirk rules like that Mm -hmm. in the beginning because I don't think that's the point when form helps you necessarily it might um like I would think about I would think about enjambment at least like how you organize how you organize a poem and the lines Mm -hmm. like how you split up lines and I would think about that very critically but I don't think that people should feel like they need to make things rhyme because then you're just using random words because they sound like they should. And that is something you want to avoid. That sounds very, very correct from my experience too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like when I started writing, I was, I was writing rhyme and I go back and I'm like, what does this even mean? It doesn't mean anything. Rhyme is hard. Rhyme is really, really hard. Um, and so I would recommend avoiding end rhyme. Uh, unless you really love it, then go for it, I guess. Yeah. Unless it's exactly what you're looking to do. Yeah. What about um reading things out loud? That's probably, I would guess, a big a big step to things, especially if you want to maybe perform in the future. Oh, super, yeah. I think um, even hearing it yourself helps you, helps you understand what you've written. Like, depending on the genre of poetry you write, like if you write slam poetry, it's designed mm-hmm. for spoken word only. Like, if you write slam poetry, you have to make it so that your your poetry makes sense the first time it's heard because okay. that's all an audience gets is is the spoken word of it. Um, but I also think on the other end of things, I, yeah, I don't think there's ever a point where poetry should only remain on the page. Like I'm very mm-hmm. spoken. I'm I'm a, definitely a spoken word artist. Like I certainly believe in pairing the two. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it's super important to read your poetry out loud during the writing process and after you're done and during the editing process. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Because most people, some people don't, it's really interesting, but most people have the, have the internal voice. Like you have the internal monologue and you hear mm-hmm. something in your head when you're reading. And so if your poetry is not oriented to that, even if it's just being read on the page and, and you're reading silently, like you still need to be able to have the flow and and be able to like you need your readers to be able to hear hear the rhythm of it and the flow of it and and that's super easy to understand well not super easy but like easier to understand when you read it out loud that makes a lot of sense it it is 
it's interesting how poetry is as much a uh, as much a performance thing as it is a written kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are lots of poets who are beautiful poets and terrible spoken word performers. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy to me. Like people who primarily re- like write poetry for books and they're asked to do a reading and I'm like falling asleep halfway through a poem because they they don't read it out loud. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like I should edit my statement and say, it's possible to write poetry and not have read it out loud um, and write successful poetry that way. But like, first of all, you're going to get more coverage if you can perform spoken word well mm-hmm. and, and do a poetry reading well, because it's the digital age. Yeah. And, and <laughs> like you were saying, like you get out into the community and people know you and yeah. you share with the people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, second of all, I think it's more satisfying for yourself. If mm-hmm. like I love the sound of my own voice and I love to hear myself talk, so <laughs> which may or may not be um, obvious by now in this podcast. <laughs> no, um, this is perfect. Um, but yeah, so I think it's also very self-satisfying when I read a poem and I'm like, ooh, damn, that was good. Then <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, it's like your work has come to fruition. Yeah. You have written this thing and now it's finally out there. It's finally been expressed to other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's... It's the same thing about how um, people are going to get different things out of like a visual, uh, out of a painting or something because there's no explanation with it versus with the song, you might not even speak the language that the lyrics are in, but the music tells you what kind of mood it is. Poetry could be the same thing. You read it on a page and it's, it's whatever you want out of it. But when the poet themselves is up there performing, you cannot get away from how they how how they're emoting every single word. 100%. Also, I think when it comes down to it, um, d- depending, of course, again, on the kind of genre of poetry you're writing, mm-hmm. um, poetry on a page can be more ambiguous than spoken word poetry. And what I mean by that is once, like, you can set up enjambment on a page so that you leave the meaning of lines a little bit more ambiguous than you could if you spoke it. Because when you speak it, you need to decide where you pause and where you continue. And you need to just like, whereas if you're just working with enjambment, like it can be up to the reader a little bit more where, where they split things and, Mm -hmm. and and you can determine um, sentence meaning that way. And so sometimes spoken word means you need to prioritize um meaning for something you meant to leave ambiguous yeah so in that way spoken word can be a little bit limiting but um there is also something so inherent about sound I think like there's a reason why language exists and that yeah language is primarily well I would I would say is primarily a spoken thing like reading Mm. is severely important for sure but like language is is mainly like you can live without reading yeah. Right. But you it's super, super difficult to live without speaking. Well, yeah, that's why on uh, Castaway, Tom Hanks had Wilson. He needed somebody to talk to. Like, it's important. Cue <laughs> <laughs> all of the listeners running to watch Castaway right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you're a millennial and you haven't watched Castaway. Oh, uh, you're failing our micro generation. Go watch that movie right now. <laughs> no, you're not failing. You're not failing. You're just in a strange <laughs> middle middle space. 
<laughs> anyway. Um, oh, yeah, I was going to ask about, um, I guess that's what you're kind of talking about, but the way that poetry is written on the page. Mm -hmm. sometimes it is done super creatively sometimes it's just in one single paragraph very uniform Mm -hmm. um what do you think about that when you're writing down your poetry does the the form of it come to you as you're writing or is that something that you just kind of format afterwards doesn't even matter to you Hmm. yeah so that's really interesting generally I don't at this point in my life, play with form an ungodly amount. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that my poetry is not primarily visual poetry. And what what I mean by visual poetry is like when you have poetry that ki- it could create an image or is very, um, it's very notable how it looks on the page. Um, I consider my enjambment to be super super important. Mm-hmm. Again, to, like, explain that, that means, like, where I break the line. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, um, yeah, I don't do very much visual... Po- <laughs> Maybe it's something I should get into, but I, <laughs> I'm just not there yet. Um, so for me, it's not incredibly important when, when I'm in the writing process. Um, I think when it comes to dis- deciding upon enjambment... Um, it's something I have to when I'm writing and I have to afterwards. Like mm-hmm. determining enjambment is largely a part of the, a part of the editing, editing process for me and the rewriting yeah. process. Um, but if I'm writing a first draft of a poem, I'm not just going to leave it in a block. Like I'm right. going to give some kind of enjambment, but I'm not married to it. Like I'll probably change it later. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, I, if I'm writing it in a block as a, as a writer who actively writes prose (laughs) yeah I'm like maybe maybe it's a little bit visually distracting for me because it doesn't look like poetry but yeah I don't know I'm not maybe I'm not the best person to ask about this because I don't focus on form to Mm -hmm. like strange form too much like I it's very normative form that I use at this point in my life like I have poems that are left aligned and they use stanzas and the stanzas are pretty normal um that kind of stuff Mm mm-hmm I think you are a good person to ask, though, because as someone who doesn't know or doesn't have a lot of experience writing poetry, but like I do have an interest in it and anybody else who does, you hear so much about how there's rules to art. And I was actually talking about this um, with the last guest I had about how with COVID happening, so many people are getting into music. They're buying the starter packs of GarageBand and stuff like that. You know, like people are trying for the first time, but we're told like, in our Western society, like the masters are the ones that do the, the art, you know, it's, if you're an amateur, that's kind of a bad thing. Hmm. But hearing that even somebody who is very into their scene, and they're very successful at it, and they're good at it to hear that they're not everybody thinks the same way. Anyway, not everybody is using the same techniques, everybody is showing off their creativity in different ways within the same within the same art style is really important. Like that's a message that needs to be heard more often yeah for sure I think um especially when we when we default to the masters as you as you put them like I don't know there's something to be said for for amateur and emerging artists progressing their field right Mm -hmm. because masters have an established style and an established form and they like generally 
more or less stick to it, or at least that's the first feeling. But um, like, I think that art is progress, like art and progress mm -hmm. are synonymous. And, and one of the ways that you maintain that progress is by hearing new voices and yeah. diversifying the, um, the community and, and who you listen to and the art you consume. Like that's extremely inherent to societal progress for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we should take a more active role in doing that as consumers. Um, like, I think generally we have this feeling where we're like, okay, provide this for me. Like yeah. it should be accessible because that's, that's like the main, oh, I've gone like over an hour before I've said the word capitalism, we should clap for me. <laughs> Good um, job. <laughs> but like, that's, that's like the whole thing with capitalism, right? Is that all of these products are very accessible to you. Right. And that's, I think, something that's super inherent in 2020. Like, during the depths of quarantine, when everything was closed, you could still buy stuff on Amazon. Yeah. Right? Like, shit was still so accessible, even though everything was closed. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason why everything was so accessible is because all of these major businesses were still providing us services. While, yeah. while the emerging businesses and everything, and emerging artists, too, were were suffering in silence because they had to like they didn't have the resources and so and drowned out by the noise of the news and everything that was exactly, going on exactly and so especially in times like these it's easy for us to be like to take a passive role and be like okay if it's not accessible for me it's not provided to me um you know I don't want to have to do the work because mm -hmm. we we think of we think of recreation as not work right but there's right. still there's still like a labor involved to it um, there's a labor involved in like uh, listening to music and 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 reading and watching stuff like it it might be really passive and you might not think of it as work because you like it too much like yeah kind of as I was saying before but it's still work and so I think it's really important for us to to take a more active role in seeking out um new voices yeah and I think I think that becomes really obvious in politics as well and the socio-political uh schema that we're in um yeah. with the like intense importance of the black lives matter movement right now and always right. especially right now in the protest movement like this happens because people aren't listened to and because we default to to established norms and established um ways of doing things and established businesses and programs and policies um but it's obvious it's becoming like more and more clear that we need to we need to overhaul that in a pretty major way. That was so well said. <laughs> and this is like, it's reflected in how we, and how we consume things recreationally as well. Yeah. Like, cause we have these habits, all of our habits are reflected in, in everything we do. And so it might feel like it, too much work to, to, I don't know, engage in new voices or whatever, because it makes you uncomfortable or because it's new um, or because it's violent as well. Mm -hmm. um yeah but these things are super important anyway and it's part of being human so yeah I totally agree with all of that and exactly what you said about like the the big businesses that were kind of keeping us afloat but at the same time um silencing the small businesses mm -hmm. that is how I see um the the ideology of western society that there are masters in the creative field and that not everybody has 
And then this ideology that not everybody has this kind of art within themselves anyway. Mm -hmm. It is sad, but I'm glad that I'm, it's awful. I'm not glad quarantine happened at all. However, something we can get out of it is that people have had to look at themselves more and try to express themselves and try to connect to life and to art and to their communities on a way different scale than they had to before. Mm-hmm. which is yeah. fantastic. And, and you're forced to take a more active role if you want yeah. to support, because it's not as convenient anymore, like to support local business, to support local restaurants and things, and things like that. It's not as convenient anymore because you can't just go there. Yeah. You need to take a more active role in it um, mm-hmm. if you want to do that. And so I think that people are becoming more aware of, of the fact that that is a thing that they feel like needs to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a little pinprick of light, light in 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 a lot of darkness. To use the overused metaphor, <laughs> but it's true. And I like what you said about how recreation can be work. As all of the all of the artists in the creative field start crying because finally somebody <laughs> said it. <laughs> like yes, it's so much work. Oh my god! You rather didn't say it earlier in the podcast because if someone's this far in, they are really committed to putting in the work. <laughs> hell yeah they are (laughs) (laughs) no those are some great points oh do you have any other any other things about writing fiction about writing poetry about um, writing nonfiction? we haven't touched too much on that either although I don't even know what to ask about nonfiction. Mm. to me nonfiction is a textbook so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, well, I feel like nonfiction can be textbooks, but also I think nonfiction can be personal essays and nonfiction can still be super creative. Okay. Yeah, I I think that, uh, oh, what's his name? There's, I've, I've read a couple really, really good nonfiction books that are that are more standard nonfiction and, uh, aha, that's what it's called. Recently, Malcolm Gladwell, who also has a podcast, um, mm-hmm. he's published a number of books based on research and, and, and things like that. And he recently published this book called Talking to Strangers. Very good nonfiction. Um, but to come back to your question, uh, just just briefly, is that I think something that's really, really integral for nonfiction and also fiction and poetry, which is something that you wouldn't really think about, is um, doing your due diligence and research. Yeah. Um, because you should really be informed about what you're writing about. Um, especially if you're if you're classifying it as nonfiction, as capital mm-hmm. truth, um, but also when you're writing fiction and poetry, because you want to be informed about the thing you're you're performing to be an expert about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have certainly been situations where I have been called out for not being an expert enough in in what I'm writing about and not being aware enough of my audience and how the historical context of the metaphors I'm using and the way that I'm saying things um, affects how readers perceive my writing. And so that's Mm -hmm. something that's super um, important to pay attention to. So like research and due diligence and um, yeah, kindness, like I said before, is super important when you read and when you read. Yeah. But when you write. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Again, it's a lot of work, people. Being creative is hard. <laughs> one of my I uh, one of my pet peeves is is when people, and I, maybe I shouldn't be so anal about this, but 
one of my pet peeves is when people call me talented. Mm, um, yeah. And that might be like, wh- why? Why are you upset about people complimenting you? And like, to a certain extent, yeah, it is a compliment. But also I feel like for me, the word talent insinuates that I was born this way and that it's just something that I do when I have put my 10,000 hours in and right. I work to do this well. Like it is, it, it, like it's labor, like that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the word talent kind of undercuts that a little bit. Yeah. Because it is talent, sure. And I probably have some, some kind of like inherent drive. I don't know if I'd even call it that. I, I, I call it more like a predisposition yeah. to just... I'm probably predisposed... Wired differently. Yeah, predisposed to be this way. Yeah. But it is also about skill and and hard fucking work. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yeah. That, anyway... No, no, I get that too. Because, like, you don't call an NHL player talented. You say, like dang you went to the gym a lot <laughs> like, i mean i suppose they are talented but that's not the main that's not, the, not main the main purpose. adjective right we know that they yeah. practice like 12 hours a day or whatever the hell they do mm-hmm. like we know that they put in that work and people need to look at artists and realize we are doing so much work behind the scenes yeah talent is a little bit it feels superfluous you know like it and feels, dismissive yeah yeah but uh maybe this is me and my Zillennial snowflake. I, I don't know. <laughs> Snowflakes are gorgeous and unique. There's nothing wrong with being a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Northern Alberta. I understand that you have a piece that you could perform for us. Oh, I do. I have to open it. That is all good. Um, so this is kind of interesting. I used to do this uh, kind of... And I... I I still do sometimes with other people, but I used to have this kind of poetry correspondence going on with one of my good friends. And then we recently had a falling out, semi-recently. And then um, she, I, I, I'm just explaining the background for this poem. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, and then she liked an Instagram post of one of mine. And I was like, of course, read into it. Yeah. As one does. And I was like, was this a passive thing? Are you trying to be like, hey, let's sort this sort this out? So I wrote this poem and then I, because we obviously put our correspondence on hold, I thought about sending it to her again. And I was like, nah, it'd be weird. Not going to do it. <laughs> and then like the, two weeks later, or a week later, she texted me and we actually went for a walk and had a great time. So like, Lovely. you know. Love is real. <laughs> Faith in humanity. Um, but it's interesting how like timely this poem was. Anyway, so this is what the poem is about. So I'll just read it now. Lovely. It's called Peter. You gave me a small hello today. A wave. Or a nod. Or only a tremor, maybe. But anyway, I heard you say something. There are things I want to say to you now that you've whispered into my ghost of you, the one in the closet of my brain. I saw someone with a quarter rest face today. I know because he turned to the side and paused. I spend my days dreaming about being extraordinary, 
My upstairs neighbor has taken to films with machine guns, which makes it sound like he's filling his apartment with water from a very tall tap. Was it a lonely thing? I wish it wasn't so easy for you to give up on me. I've been thinking about being a bee in an apiary, building a home in a wooden box house, all the while knowing someone would come to take it away. Most of the time, things that hurt get absorbed, but your ghost in that closet is a puddle on impenetrable tile floors. Maybe Neverland is the myth of America. Maybe the second star to the right is an invisible island off the coast of Florida. The trees we cut down in December have a genus all to themselves since they're so good at looking like something else. But maybe it's just that Peter only lives straight on till morning. I thought I heard you give me a small hello today. Very small. It was nothing. Yeah, so that's the poem. Thanks for uh, inviting me to read that. That's nice. Thank you so much. That was lovely. Thanks. You're very welcome. I have a question after hearing that. Sure. Um, When you're performing, do you consciously think about the voice that you're using, like physically the sound that's coming out of your face? Or is that just something that happens? 100%. And I was trying to not do it as much right now because I've been speaking like one way for this whole podcast. Yeah. And then I was like, I was feeling the need to have my like stage voice going on. And I was like, no, this will feel like a little bit of a farce if I do it now. So I was trying not to do it. But I think um, something, something that is, I become really, really interested in softness. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially as someone who previously did lots of slam, which is generally very loud and in your face. Um, And I've been, been like really interested in what happens when when what you are performing is soft and what happens when you leave space um mm-hmm. or the listener and either pauses or in volume or anything like that like so I definitely have a performing voice um which is something I guess I shouldn't be ashamed of because I think like I I, I work to be soft basically I try yeah. I try really I try really a lot um <laughs> to be soft <laughs> Because I think that it's, I don't know, if you're, if you're talking about a difficult sub, like this poem isn't that difficult, I don't think, but certainly I, there are poems that I write that are, that are difficult and I write about difficult things to swallow and understand and whatever, like, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, um, unwanted sexual experiences and climate change and all of these things like are really integral to my writing. Um, and also, um, what it is to be a to be a treaty person and to be on treaty six land and and to be gracious and improve horrendous social situations right and these like these are things that i that i consider in my poetry and so i think these subjects require a certain amount of softness and gentleness because there's so much hurt in them anyway right like anger or or loudness or or things like that like for me very few of these things have have like clean cut solutions in fact none of them do if they have any kind of solution I think there's just like attempts that you can make that make things better but like you know like the scars exist and they're things you have to live with and 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 learn to live with and so 
I don't think that being hard is a good way to go about that. That's just my own mm -hmm. experience. Like I could be incorrect about that. Like, and other people might get other things out of, out of it. But for me, like <sighs> loudness and, and being hard in these things and being like aggressive in them, it's all like, to me, that feels too much like anger. Mm -hmm. I am too tired to be angry anymore. Maybe like, of course I get angry. And of course it's hard not to be angry about things like this, but I think at least when I'm writing poetry, it's not for me a space where I can be angry anymore. Like, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I get a, I get a performing voice because I, I think softness for me in this instance, again, isn't always the answer for everyone else, but for me in this instance is the best way for me to cope and mm -hmm. be a good ally. I think that's, so interesting. I, it makes sense to me. There's a lot of, and a lot of the issues you talk about are very loud, angry mm -hmm. things. Like they happen very loudly or um, the protests are very loud. And of course, rightly so angry, mm -hmm. but you can't carry that with you day to day. So in a performance, it might not fit to have that loudness. Mm -hmm. might it to be more soft that's fantastic that's yeah it's, it's also not fascinating necessarily always my place to be angry either I don't think mm -hmm. um and since I have uh the social social situation where I talk to people who don't have lots of these experiences firsthand like experiences mm -hmm. of racism um and as a person who is who is that way as well who doesn't experience racism mm -hmm. like firsthand um I don't know if it's my place to be angry. Like it's my place to be an ally and to inform. And so if I'm going to inform other people like me, I don't know if I can do it successfully by being angry. Like I, I think there's a place for anger. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly do get angry. But in this platform that I have, I think the catch more flies with honey thing is, is what works, what can work for me because I have the privilege of having that position. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, that was <laughs> that was very eloquently said. Thank and you. I'm feeling all emotional right now. But... I try. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> good job, Julia. You can do it. <laughs> Make me all weepy in the middle of my own podcast. Aww. Jeez. <laughs> These are the moments where I feel successful, you know, because like I want people to feel something. That's the point of my poetry is I want somebody to feel something. And so if I can speak and make someone feel something, maybe I can also write that. Who knows? You know? Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. What I just told the world was that I feel successful when I make other people cry. And I... <laughs> It's okay. When I was in high school, I played the Wicked Witch of the West in Wizard of Oz, and I felt so proud of myself when I made the kindergarten Goals. kids cry. Goals, it was man. awful, but also really satisfying, so I get it. Wicked Witch of the West, if only. My claim to fame <laughs> in high school theater was the bird lady, the bird woman in uh, Mary Poppins, which was nice. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, final pieces of advice, um... Oh, a website to tell people about, perhaps? Yeah, I can plug my website. I also uh, would thank everyone who's gotten this far. <laughs> um, so thanks for listening to me and Natalie. And also thank you so much, Natalie, for this um, 
awesome opportunity. I also like talking through things because it helps me understand. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. Um, Thank you. Um, I also am relying on this to be a nice time capsule later in my life. (laughs) So thank you very much. Um, For sure. It's been great to be here digitally. My website is juliaelsorensen.com and Sorensen is S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. If I can accomplish one thing in my life, um, it's have it's to have people reliably spell my name correctly. So, oh, even I did that this morning. It's I okay. feel so bad. It's okay. I I also got weepy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, my name has the H in it right after the T. For mm-hmm. anybody who doesn't know, it's N A T H because it's French. So my name's always spelled wrong too. <laughs> I try not to do it to others. It's but okay. I failed. It's the life I live. Um, with the Danish ancestry. Danish is S-E-N and Swedish is S-O-N at the end of, at the end of Sorensen. And mm. I don't, somehow people on this side of the world are more familiar with the Swedish spelling. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my website. You can find um, videos of me reading poetry on there and also that um, album, the concept album that Ari and I worked on, among other things. Um, you can also, uh, I also have my publication history on there as well. So if you're interested in reading some of the things that I have published, um, some of them can still be ordered. I still have copies of certain chapbooks and also CDs for the album that we worked on to love and to be loved. So if you're interested in any of those things, my email is also on my website. And I must say, if you're in it for the aesthetic, anybody, the website looks fantastic. Oh, that's good to know. So, I my best. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was looking at it. I was like, "You go, girl!" Like, heck yeah, <laughs> professional AF. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Well, that was Julia Sorensen with us, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Natter the Zillennial Podcast. Hope you have a great week.